Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor at Guns on Pegs. Once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, we're back. It feels like a while since we recorded a proper podcast, but a lot's happened since then. Um, how are you feeling? How's the wedding? Oh, it's good, mate. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Uh, it's really nice to be back. And can I also thank all those very kind people who enjoyed our emergency cop-out episode? Um, it was <laughs> very much appreciated with the diary that we've both had. So uh, thank you to those people. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've been both been very busy, but we're now all set. And and, uh, and this is now Game Fair lead up week. So it's culminating. There's a lot happening. Yeah, it's all very exciting. But first, I think before we talk about any of that sort of stuff, Chris, we'd better just uh, introduce our guest for this episode. Indeed. So um, the title of this episode is still to be decided, but it's got an obvious theme. Uh, it's all about great times with friends evolving around shooting. So when it came to thinking about appropriate guests for this topic, I went to a man who gets more excited about a shoot weekend than a spring of spaniel seeing you in breeks on a Saturday morning. Um, this chap, many of you will have uh, met in the world of, of guns. He's he's worked for William Evans and he's worked for Purdy. He knows a huge amount about both those brands. Uh, and recently uh, has, and I'm going to, I'll hold it, I'll let him tell you in a second, has just started up uh, another new venture which actually launches this weekend at the Game Fair. But most importantly, and the reason for this episode, this man loves a good party and he's very good at it. So I'm delighted to welcome George Dewar. Hi, Chris. Hi, George. Thank you very much for that introduction. I'm not quite sure how to, to take that, but um, um, uh, it's all in the name of fun. Indeed. Well, you were saying this just, just before we started recording, you were saying that some people at Purdy used to refer to you by a particular title, which I thought was quite apt. What was that? Well, it wasn't actually people at Purdy. It was actually some clients in America. Uh, they wrote a message to a colleague of mine when I was on my way out uh, to Virginia for a hunting trip. And they asked uh, my colleague whether the Minister of Fun was going to be coming along. And uh, I quite like that one. Yeah, what? you should put that on your email. What, what had you done? Are you going to save this one? Or are you telling us what had you done to earn that title? Well, we'd had several trips out to this facility in, in Virginia. Um, I think we'd done two or three trips out there and um, some of them uh, with actually a, a, a Guns on Pegs member, that being your father, uh, mm. Chris. And um, one of the main things that we, we did in, on any of our trips out to America was to make sure the clients had fun. And uh, I was particularly serious about that. And um uh, ensuring that everybody has fun uh, actually led to quite a lot of gun sales. Much to the detriment of the marketing budget, presumably. I couldn't possibly comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we go any further then, just tell us a little, about, about, a little bit about this new venture of yours. It's, it's hugely exciting and it was actually quite unexpected. Um, I left Purdy just before Christmas and uh, started up my own business, uh, which was basically a consultancy business in the in the gun trade. And my very first client uh, was a former Purdy colleague, Tom Cosby. And he'd started up a, a gun shop and a hunting agency called Old Sport Outfitters. And very soon it became apparent that we were going to work together. And um, we merged various businesses and started various businesses all in a very short space of time. And just as we were about to uh, fully rebrand as Old Sport Outfitters, the opportunity to uh, work with the Charles Lancaster name came up and we leapt at that opportunity. Uh, Charles Lancaster uh, was one of the most famous gun makers of the 1800s and his business carried on uh, right through the 1900s. Uh, he was an incredible innovator 
an amazing gun maker, lots of guns out there um, under his name. And uh, it was just a perfect opportunity to, um, to, to rejuvenate this brand. And we're really excited about doing it. So have you got as far as sort of formulating plans for it or is it still very, you know, very, very new? The, the great thing about this is, is that it's, it's a 200 year old brand, 200 years old in, uh, in 2026. So in terms of how uh, the brand will actually uh, go forward, there are models for that in the sense that Purdy, Holland and Holland, Rigby, all these other gun makers out there, um, they know what they're doing. They've been successful for 200 years and we need to just continue that. And we know exactly what we want to do. We know how we want to do it. Um, much is yet to be revealed. I'll have to ask you to wait until the game fair so that you can see <laughs> uh, uh, see what's uh, going to be happening. But I can say we are making new guns and rifles. We've been doing that for the past couple of months um, prior to the launch. Um, and we have a huge selection of secondhand guns and rifles as well and lots of other things besides. Can you reveal any twists? Are you taking any new approaches that you haven't been able to do in any of the others? I think the main thing for us is that we wanted to make sure that Charles Lancaster, who was known as being an innovator and known as being very modern, the main thing is we wanted to make sure that we become known as the modern gun maker. So everything you see that we will be doing will be tailored towards um, modern ways of doing things um, and whether that's ensuring that we have digital photo frames on the stand with uh, with pictures cycling rather than actual photo frames or whether it's the, the fact that we'll have beer mats with QR codes on them that you can actually scan to get your catalogue. Um, all that kind of stuff is geared towards 21st century Britain and, and the 21st century uh, shooting market. It's very exciting. Good luck. Yeah, Thank massive, you very much. Huge good luck from us. Um, so, George, you probably heard we've been organising a party. I, I have heard, yes. I, I, I don't know how, but parties, I tend to hear about them. <laughs> this is probably the most long, drawn-out party organising, uh, apart from a wedding, except that's not very public. Uh, this one's been a very public organisation of a party. So this is the week it all happens. I can't believe it's actually come around. If I, if, if I may interrupt you, Chris, it's been a long time coming because I think I probably knew about it before you did. Um, <laughs> I got an invitation <laughs> a long time ago, so very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 all come around. And obviously the rules are now relaxed. It actually can happen. I've sort of started, got to pinch myself a little bit to, to think that this is all okay. It's all a bit odd still. But anyway, it will all, it will all go good on Saturday night. So... Everything's in, band sorted, absolutely, it's going to go off. We're, we're super excited about it. Guest list there. We've had so many listeners message in asking uh, to get on our guest list. And essentially what it means, if you get on the guest list, it essentially means you get some free drinks, uh, four to be precise. Uh, so it's worth getting on the guest list for it. It just sweetens up the evening that little bit, gets you going for the, for the dancing later on, uh, on the Tom Payne stage. Uh, that he doesn't, he doesn't really know about yet. <laughs> what would the game fair be without Tom Payne dancing? <laughs> Indeed. The thing is, if the weather's good, anyone can come to this party because the sides can be off. Uh, it just means that you won't get free drinks. So anyone can come. So if you listen to this, don't feel put out if you haven't got onto the guest list just yet. We still do have a little bit of space on the guest list, but we specifically hold some, some, some tickets back. Uh, 20 pairs of tickets. Uh, and I think this is George's idea. Uh, it might have been mine. So what we're going to do is, at the game fair, if you come and find us on our stand, uh, we're right by the uh, members' enclosure by the main arena. If you come and find us on our stand and tell George a good joke, <laughs> then you can come to the party and get on the guest list, have some free drinks at us, 
the caveat is I'm going to record the jokes to go in the next episode of the podcast. So it's got to be, well, is it going to be clean? It's definitely got to no. be broadcastable. I think, don't you, don't you put this out under explicit? I do, yes. But I still think there's probably some limits that we can't go beyond. Oh, of course, yeah. Explicit doesn't mean... <laughs> yeah, I'm not just mean... talking about naughty words. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's it. So I think the point is there. If you've listened to this before the game fair, do come and say hi. We'd love to hear from you because, um, yeah, it's it's why we do this. To have a laugh. And there's a nice little link to today's episode. Yeah. I mean, I would also say that um, if you listen to this on Wednesday, Thursday or Friday and you don't fancy sending us a jo- giving me a joke at the Game Fair, you can email pod at gunsonpegs.com and either tell me your joke in your email or give me some other excuse as to why you should come and uh i'll uh, consider putting you on the guest list as well so it's pod at gunsonpegs.com the party is at six thirty on saturday night at the game fair at the nice and wild restaurant there we go that's all the details good man so with all that party chat i'm thirsty so uh it's time for what's that you're drinking george what have you got to to wet the whistle this afternoon <laughs> Do you, do you know what of of any sort of interview kind of thing that I've ever done? I think this this question for me was one of the most difficult, and I tried to think. <laughs> I tried to think what what is it that I get when I when I go to the bar when I'm out shooting, go to the back of the of the Land Rover that brings out Elevenses and so on, and then I realised the reason why it's so difficult is because I don't go to the bar; I am the bar. So I've bought a selection <laughs> of drinks oh. today, and some of them have great meaning. Um, but particularly the drink that I've got here is a nice little glass of um, marmalade vodka. Wow. And um, the reason I have this this marmalade vodka, I won't show you the brand because it's utterly disgusting. Um, but the first time I got this drink out, the first time I got this drink out was about six years ago when I was down in Devon um, with you, Chris. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if you remember this or not. I got it out of the back of the truck. And I remember you absolutely refusing to have any. And I had a little sip, but I also remember a very good friend of yours who had some and promptly ran to the bushes and chucked up everywhere. Um, and and all going. I can say is that all I can say is that that is the same bottle that we had then. And it is to just below the neck here. And I thought I'd try some today in honor of uh, speaking with you. Just for the benefit of the tape, that is an extremely orange bottle. I'm assuming that's not the colour of the liquid. Is that just the branding? No, it looks like scotch. So if anyone doesn't like scotch, but they like sugary drinks, then they can sort of get away with pretending it is until you sniff it. For those of you familiar with the drinks market, you've really narrowed down the options of that brand by explaining (laughs) this. It's delicious, I promise you. But, but but also, I mean, my actual go-to drink, really, which I've got here as well, is a bit of bit of slow gin. And shameless plug, um, I've got some um, Wood Brothers slow gin here. And if you like Wood Brothers slow gin, you can buy some of that uh, actually on our stand at the Game Fair. Um, oh, which no is, flies uh, on you. No, not at all. And same with the champagne <laughs> that I've got in front of me as well. That's a delightful little <laughs> glass of <tablet. laughs> But that's, um, that's a shameless plug as well, because it's so hot. I'm not drinking slow gin in this heat. So I've actually got this lovely little glass of uh, Botham and Balfour. And guess what? If you come to the Lancaster stand at the Game Fair, you can buy Botham wines off the stand. That's it. Uh, as the, in Lord Surian, Beefy as in of Botham. Lord Surian, beefy, beefy legend Botham himself. Um, and uh, we will have a converted horse box bar called Tipple at the back of our stand, uh, which will be all branded up in Botham wines. And you can come and buy your your lovely wine from us, the Gunmaker. Um, I've... <laughs> That's awesome. I've got to go next because this has already been full of nice little links. 
uh, and your champagne comes from vines the other side of the hedge from where I'm sitting. It does, yes, and it was all carefully planned. I promise you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a ridiculous link. No, no, there's there's nothing else going on around us around here apart from that. Uh, so yes, very nice stuff. And you should have the um, the Hush Heath, the Balfour Rosé. That's absolutely mega. I love it. And of course, you've got the uh, the red deer in your back garden somewhere there as well. I saw on Instagram the other day. That was in that vineyard behind your house. A random red deer appeared, didn't it? Oh, scary. really? Really? Yeah. God, that is unusual around here. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so my drink today is also a big plug. I'm also drinking the company stock from the weekend, uh, <laughs> like you're doing. <laughs> um, so, I, what I'm actually drinking was a was a gift from John at Borders Distillery. I'm having the other drink that I didn't have the the other day. So uh, <clears throat> this will be available at our party. This is William Kerr's Borders Gin. Uh, and I'm soon realising it's 43%, which is uh, slightly stronger than the average. Uh, and I've gone and poured myself a, a, a free hand pour a minute ago, which I'm slightly regretting now. I mean, so just... what have you, so you, is you drinking it neat? Uh, John was recommending gin and tonic with a slice of orange in it, wasn't he? Okay, so I've gone for lemon because I don't have an orange uh, and I do prefer lemon in gin and tonic. So it's a very straightforward gin and tonic, but it's really good. And uh, anyway, having this on Saturday night will take me back and I'm really looking forward to it. So anyway, I'm doing that for a massive plug for, for John again, Borders Distillery, because they have stepped up to the mark to lubricate everyone at this party. And, and I'm now kicking myself because I was also sent a bottle of this gin and I've just remembered that I've got a bottle of it sitting under my drinks table right now. And that would have been a much better choice for the current temperature in my flat, which is north of 30 degrees. But as is traditional, I've got a glass of whiskey. I've just come back from my annual salmon fishing holiday on Speyside. We had an absolutely fantastic week, caught loads of fish. Well, the, the party yeah. caught loads so of how fish. How many did you catch? Yeah. Well, I I hooked four. <laughs> <laughs> I landed one. <laughs> And I think that's uh, having had a year off, uh, I was a bit rusty and I tried to bully one too hard and I got broken off by another and then one just shook the hook. So 25% conversion rate. Hmm. It's not great, is it? No. Um, How many many do you catch in total as a group? The total, I think, was 35 for the week. Oh. On uh, so seven rods in the water at any given time, but 14 people fishing. So I think top rod had six or seven. Um, Annoyingly, that was my brother. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll say less about that than that. But um, it was a really, really cool week. And I um, I was four for four on gillying, netted four fish, which is really nice, including my sister's boyfriend's first and second fish. Uh, oh, no, hang on. Only the second fish. Um, and my brother also got engaged there. So congratulations to Jim and Georgia. I know they li- they're listening. Proper catch. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely catch of the week. Um, although I'm not sure who is said to have done the catching there. Um, do, 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 do you want to give your opinion on it? I think Jim is definitely batting above his average. <laughs> that is Very a common. Good. That is a common theme in the sporting world. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I've got my Abalauer whiskey, uh, which is very nice, and it's not too much of a sort of heavy, peaty, wintry one. It's quite light and 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 uh, and reasonably summary, summary, I suppose, as far as whiskies go. But I have also got a very, very cold beer uh for when i've run out of whiskey and i'm i'm genuinely i've got sweat dripping down my forehead right now it's so hot in here (laughs) so so, right that's a lot of chat about booze um 
so um, I think it's time we moved on and did uh, Whose Bird Is It Anyway? Now, George, just so that you uh, know what we're about, this is the section of the podcast where we ask our listeners to send in their sort of shooting dilemmas, quandaries and queries and all that kind of thing. I, I, well, I, I, I've, got to, I've got to chuck in because I know I, I haven't put it down in the running order, something to mention, but um, What's That You're Drinking is also now the name of a Shetland pony. Yes, it's confirmed. It's it's been confirmed. So Bethany has very kindly agreed, uh, who is the daughter of a chap called Tom, who messaged into the podcast a few, a few episodes ago. Uh, she's running in the Shetland Pony Grand National at the Game Fair. It runs every day. And we said to him, could we change the name of uh, the horse to What's That You're Drinking <laughs> for, for the Grand National? So he's agreed. And this week sent us some newly printed team gear for George and I to wear with what's that you're drinking on the back (laughs) it's absolute gold uh Bethany has Guns on Pegs podcast logo on her joppers so when you get to the game fair if you're going look for the time of the Shetland Pony Grand National and crowd round that ring like you've never done before a little bit like England Italy at Wembley go mad you know go in without a ticket just do what you like just this is this is a big one. We need so much cheering for for Bethany. Well, possibly and I can. was also thinking, Chris, that for for people who can't be at the game fair, we should probably go along with our microphones and record a commentary, uh, <laughs> f- so that we can include it in the next episode. Uh, we'll do our best horse race of uh, horse race commentator voices. Oh my god! Can you listen to like Cornelius Lyser on Five Live, and that's just serious skills he's got there. It's going to come out very badly. <laughs> <laughs> it probably doesn't take very long either. The the Shetland Pony Grand National does it? They're really little, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're so George. You're going to commentate. I'll be your sort of uh, right hand Lee Dixon man, like like he was in the Euros doing the the, the co commentary, or bit bit Gary Neville or something. I hope you're a bit more insightful. <laughs> Um, anyway, so there you go. Shetland Pony Grand National. What's that you're drinking? Yes. Okay, so right. Uh, whose bird is it anyway? King George, just to give you the context, we ask our listeners to send in their shooting quandaries and dilemmas and queries and all that kind of stuff. And then we read them out on air. And between us, we try and work out what the right course of action is, was or should have been. Um, so this one has been sent in by somebody I have decided to call Heinrich for reasons that will become apparent. It involves an heirloom purdy. German aristocrats, an oil tycoon, and some bad shooting. So Heinrich wrote, I'm writing to you today from a deer stand in Germany, and I hope, uh, if you should read this out, you will do so with an appropriate ridiculous accent. Now, I'm not going to do that. Okay, so Heinrich goes on. As a young boy, I unwittingly happened to stumble into a fairly high aristocratic circle here in Germany. A very private circle, really, so it was always the same people at every shoot. Very informal but very tradition conscious. Therefore, it was unusual when one day one rather high-ranking member of the group announced that he would bring a guest, some oil tycoon from Singapore, he told us. The day in question was a fairly casual shoot. You know, worn-out wax jackets and cords was the order of the day. We were just sitting on the tailgates of our cars, filling up our cartridge bags. The beaters had already left to get in position, and secretly we were rather happy as this guest had not shown up after all. But the peace was suddenly interrupted by the sound of an approaching helicopter, which landed just in front of us. And down the stairs of that monster helicopter came a chap dressed in a full-on three-piece tweed suit with a matching deerstalker hat for some reason. He was followed by his wife, who you could hardly see 
beneath all the furs she was draped in. <laughs> of course, they did not bring any guns with them, obviously expecting to be assigned their loaders carrying a pair of Holland and Hollands for them. And instead of saying, well, bad luck, see you next year, old chap, his Serene Highness, who had so unabashedly invited the guest, asked round if someone had brought a spare gun. Unfortunately, I had, and it, I was the only one. It was my grandpapa's beloved 1830s Purdy. So, against my better judgment, I went to my car and with a heavy heart, I handed my late grandpapa's beloved Purdy over. As anticipated, our honoured guest was a terrible shot. Not only did he violate my gun and missed everything there was to shoot, but instead he almost killed a dog and a beater. My question to you, should I have just lied and withheld my gun? <laughs> George, you must have been in this position. I could see you with clients on a shoot in a situation like this. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I was, I was a bit scared. The story was about me to start with, um, but um, uh, I, I have, I have seen this uh, this kind of thing before, um, and um, uh, yeah, it's difficult to know what to do because you don't know actually who's going to turn up and how good they are at shooting. I think the simplest answer is don't take a spare gun shooting, uh, and then you don't have to be put into that situation. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think, I think. If he'd thought a little bit quicker on his feet and linked up some of the, our podcast episodes, the fine should have featured, and the fine would have made this all the merrier for him. Because I think yeah. he wasn't. If he like this, if this is a fairly, it sounds like a fairly punchy shoot with some fairly punchy people. So we can go to the fairly punchy level of fines. I'm talking like I don't know, a grand, five hundred. Well, I mean, yeah, Just... I mean, you raise an interesting point there because I was interested in that title, His Serene Highness. I did a bit of googling, and apparently. There's very few people who can who can use that title, and some of them are members of the royal family of Liechtenstein, Monaco. You know, this this is obviously quite a, an exalted circle. This guy's shooting in, and this is obviously an oil tycoon, so he's probably got a couple of quid. Yeah, so if he around. thought if he thought really quick and he said, "Ah, sir, you've come to our shoot without a gun. No worries. The standard fine for that is a thousand pounds. If you'd like to hand it over, I'll lend you my gun." I reckon he would have done. <laughs> probably. But um, I mean, the other thing, I, I mean, an 18, George, you'll know about this, an 1830s Purdy, that's a serious well, bit of kit. Well, <laughs> yes and no. Um, I mean, yes, I'd love to come across an 1830s Purdy, but I think he's slightly out on his dates there because that would actually be a muzzle loader and therefore would actually, I would understand why he nearly shot somebody's dog. Um, <laughs> I have I have been on a muzzle loading shoot before, and it's uh, it's quite an experience. I uh, I have to say, but um, uh, yeah, I think um, I, I think I wouldn't be lending anything uh, anything with with Purdy on it to uh, to someone that had jumped out of a helicopter with a with a wife covered in furs. I mean, I'm making a big assumption here as well, but given I mean, if it were me, I'd have I'd have lent him my other gun. So we have to assume that we're talking a pair here, don't we? Well, uh, oh, yeah. complicated. Oh. Yeah, he uh, wasn't. Depend- he wasn't using a silver pigeon, and then said, "Sure, have my pearly, was he?" <laughs> that's true. That's true. He was. Uh, if he'd had a, if if he'd had a pair of guns, and he wasn't using a pair of guns, why would he have bought a pair of guns with him? That's the question. So, not quite sure where that second gun came from. I think taking two guns to a shoot. If you definitely got an old English gun, you always need to take two guns to a shoot because it's just inevitable. Mine does this all the time. Or you could just buy yourself a nice brand new Charles Lancaster and then there'd be no problems. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll yeah. put the link in for that after this. <laughs> I, I mean, I think in this situation, though, I think, you know, the guy's showed up. He's somebody's guest. No, let's be honest. He didn't have a choice, did he? <laughs> no. 
you don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he really had a choice. No, I think. I think, the, I think the guy. I think the guy actually needs to count himself lucky because, uh, you know, a lot worse things could have happened, such as a situation on a shoot where I was as a kid with my father, when a, a an American guest. It's not always the Americans. I hasten to add, but an American guest did take a rather low shot. There was somewhat of a scream from the woodland in front of him. Uh, whereupon the horn went, the keeper marched out, took the fore end off the guy's shotgun, walked back, threw it in the river, and carried on the drive. Um, <laughs> now, that was an old English gun, so that was kind of an expensive mistake for the gun to have made, but good on the keeper. Yes. Well, I was going to say, he did say almost shot a beater. <laughs> seeing, seeing as we're on the topics of Americans just before shoot drives, uh, I, I know. Just remember, story. we've got quite a lot of American listeners. <laughs> we do. <laughs> okay, this doesn't have to be American. It could just be novice shot here, who's 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 been thrust into a situation they probably shouldn't have been. Uh, this this particular host uh, said in the in the before the drive, just make sure you check your barrels <clears throat> before every drive, uh, please. Before uh, before the horn goes, uh, start the first drive. Bang bang! Before anyone had really got to their pegs, and he looked over at this chap. He said, "What are you doing?" He'd fired two shots into the ground in front of him and just said, well, he told me to check my barrels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Goodness me. So, yeah, I think the, the, the consensus there is you probably did the right thing and it could have been a hell of a lot worse. At the end of the day, if it's the guest of the, the Serene Highness, I think you kind of do as you're told. Yeah. Yeah. There is this as well. You know your place. <laughs> was he invited? He was invited. It wasn't the syndicate. Was yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Invited. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, the question was a resounding, you did the right thing. You had no choice. Good. Yeah. So we've got some more correspondence. We do. Um, I had this story in from another listener. Uh, we considered reading it out the party, actually. Uh, it would have taken quite a long time. It's, it's a fairly chunky story, but it's a good one. Uh, we thought it'd be a shame not to use it on here because obviously then more people could listen to it. It's not really a sort of whose bird is it anyway, but it's a good story. And we'll call this person Mungo. Um, I think, George, it's another one of your, your, your titlings. We're up to M, are we? Well, um, no, I've just gone scattergun now. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, okay, so he writes, so I'm on the, Mungo writes, I'm on the picking up team uh, at a well-to-do East Anglian shooting estate. A stream separates two of its signature drives with the pegs aligned back to back along the banks of the stream. One of the drives is normally shot second on the day, and the other is always shot last. The presence of the stream allows for the drives to not only show themselves extremely well with good birds being shot, but more importantly, birds can be retrieved with some impressive dog work from the guns, peg dogs, as well as the picking up dogs. After the second drive, the horn was blown and we eagerly awaited for the guns to finish working their dogs before sweeping the field and the stream. The usual morning's conversations between gun and picker started, good morning, sir, madam, well shot. I've shot three and my dog has found slash eaten two. The other is there somewhere over there, normally meaning in Norfolk or Suffolk somewhere. It's at this point I must mention about the beater who always thinks he's the loader, picker, gamekeeper, but most importantly, he must touch and place every bird in the game cart. <laughs> We've all seen those people. <laughs> Let's call him the snatcher, Mungo says. Snatcher walked from the beating line to look for birds and point out where all the fallen birds were in the stream as well as on the land. The dogs swept up and we all moved on to continue the day until the final drive. As mentioned, the guns were now lined out with their backs to the drive from earlier. Once again, the keepers showed some amazing birds and the sound of barrels and cheers are being heard from the line for the last drive of the day. The horn signals for the end of the day and the picking up team moved forwards. It's at this last drive of the day, it allows us to more freely move without a worry of a stray dog upsetting another drive and the head keeper. 
The stream was swept, and it's at this point our snatcher came into his own and started hollering to a very experienced picker-up with a pack of impeccable Labradors. It's there, cries Snatcher to our fellow picker. Let's call him Colin. It's there, it's there. He shrieks. They just become even louder. Colin's dogs are hunting the banks of the stream, air sniffing and are now in and out of the water, looking for a bird they cannot see, but they can smell. Snatcher becomes more and more animated, saying, it's there, it's there, under the water, look. A cock pheasant had been trapped and sunk below some reeds, quite possibly from an earlier drive. Colin was becoming a little irritated by Snatcher's involvement, to say the least. A tipping point was surely coming. Snatcher then shrieked, send your dog, send for it. To which, to which point, Colin, now looking at this sunken cock pheasant, replies, it's a Labrador, not a fucking submarine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. We've, uh, we, we've all been there. You can imagine these syndicate stories. It's a good one. I love that. Mungo, thank you for sending that in. Yeah, so Heinrich and Mungo are now members of the most noble order of the garters, as are you, George. Uh, and so their garters will be in the post as soon as we get our act together. Um, they're also invited to the party at the game fair. We should probably apologise to those who haven't had their garters yet. I've just been really slow on sending them, so I'm sorry about that. And if you haven't had them and you do deserve them and you've been read out, then come and grab them at the game fair. So if you two have got a shooting confession, quandary, query, uh, or a story that you'd like us and our guests to help you with or for us to read out, uh, and you'd like a set of garters, do drop us an email, pod at gunsonpegs.com. So, Chris, today's theme, as it were, is sort of everything that happens sort of either side of shooting. Yeah, in and around it. Yeah, we talk a lot about how shooting is, you know, shooting's great, but the thing that's really great about it is the fun that you have with your mates. And that means that the shoot, the fun doesn't necessarily start when the shooting starts and it doesn't necessarily stop when the shooting stops. Absolutely. So, the, f- the fun starts on the WhatsApp chat months before, doesn't it? That's the whole point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, actually, it was proven in our game shooting census, the single most important reason that people go shooting uh, is to have fun with their friends. So this episode is literally, as you say, George, all about that. Uh, night before, night after is a cracking place to start because I think that's when it all culminates, isn't it? almost certainly the night before it certainly culminates then but the night after is then a big bang after the day george mr dewer our guest what's your preference if you could only do one you had to choose night before the shoot or night after the shoot for a big party oh it's so difficult and there are so many situations uh, uh, or, or, or things around it as to why you might choose one or the other um if i was totally free either side um i would have to say after and I know that's not quite so much the done thing. Um, everyone likes to scuttle off home after a day's shooting. But the reason for that is that some people, and I definitely don't count myself in this uh, this category, but some people do tend to get a little carried away the day before, and then you can feel a little bit ropey. Um, <laughs> and, never done um, that. <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I'm teetotal. But <laughs> no, it's it, it, it's definitely something that I I like to look forward to after a day is, is is not having to rush off and then you can have a, a glass of wine or, or two at lunchtime and you don't have to worry about driving especially if you're staying uh where you're shooting so that that's why actually if i if i didn't have to get off somewhere i would actually want to to have my fun the night after this or the night the evening of the shoot i'm really surprised you say that I've, i honestly thought you were going to go before uh in charge george what would you say 
in charge and promoted. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, the way that my shooting typically pans out, you know, I'm basi- I'm generally working Monday to Friday. So we should tend to shoot on a Saturday. Friday evening is traveling. And then, you know, we might have a, a bit of a, a get together. Typically, these are family shoots. And so there'll be a kind of coming together. But as George says, we do take it fairly steady on those nights because you don't want to be feeling rough the next morning. And so we then shoot on Saturday. And I mean, one one occasion comes to mind where we had the, the sort of the youngsters shoot, as it were, um, you know, everybody under 35 on our on our shoot at home. And, um, you know, we shot through and uh, the, the shoot lunch, as it were, finished at midnight and um you know my my <laughs> sister's uh, sister's boyfriend and i had to go and conduct a raid on my dad's wine cellar at about 11 o'clock and uh sorry to do this to you paddy but he did fall down the cellar steps um which was hugely entertaining i just think it's a nicer way of doing it really um you know nobody's as you say george no one's got to dash off mm. um you can uh, you can sort of um cut loose a bit because you know that you're not going to have a shot going shotgun going off next to your head the next day um and uh, yeah having having made the mistake of going in a little too hard once or twice i know that that there is no uh there's no worse cure for a hangover than a 12 bore going off but george you know i think also um uh, it's not even just about going necessarily too heavily should we say the night before um it's also about just the ability to have a nice drink. Now, I, I, you know, I know Chris better than I know you, and I know both he and I love a very nice wine. But if I take one of the nicest shoot lunches that I have possibly ever, ever, ever had, where Chris was there um, at a certain high bird shoot in Wales, um, where they bought out bottles of Louis Trace cognac. It doesn't narrow it down at all, George. <laughs> <laughs> but they brought out some bottles of uh, Louis Trace cognac um, for tasting afterwards and some wines that are just amazing. Uh, it was a fantastic Christmas lunch um, that we had. And uh, Chris, if I remember rightly on that day, you, you were actually driving, I think. Um, and, you know, in that situation, if we'd been staying on site or nearby taxi distance away, let's say, um, I think the fun could have been so much more. Yeah, this is definitely true. But it's, but it's the thing. I, I don't know about you, but a lot of my shooting involves quite a lot of traveling. I, I'm not like in the local syndicate down the road. And because of because of the nature of what we do, my average journey to a shoot is like usually about three hours. Um, therefore, I always have to leave the night before. So I'm always staying the night before and staying two nights is just a lot bigger ask right rather than getting home because obviously then you're starting work late the next day so for me i never ever really stay the night after and also because because of what we do there's a lot there's very little shooting on saturdays weirdly i don't know why because it is the most common day to go shooting uh so it's like when my mate organizes his big fat his big mate's day and it's on a monday and he's like we're gonna have the big thing the night after and i'm thinking so we get there sunday night a few drinks and then have a have a have a big shindig the mon- on the Monday night, meaning that you wake up with a whole week ahead of you with a hell of a hangover. It's just like the, the worst idea ever. But I mean, the dream, Chris, is is a a, a straightforward shooting weekend, right? It's <laughs> it's you know arrive on Friday night, relatively quiet Friday, shoot on. I mean, maybe a duck flight on Friday night, if you know, maybe. Um, but then you know a good day's shooting, big do in the evening on a Saturday. Uh, you know, black tie supper, 
all that jazz. And then, you know, a fairly quiet Sunday morning with a decent breakfast and then everybody toggles on their way feeling slightly worse for wear. I, I mean, I, it's a genuine like life ambition of mine to be able to, to organise one of those for my friends, big country house, you know, the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. I, big, big birthday type thing. I know exactly what you mean. I, I, yeah. George, I'm gonna, uh, uh, guess George, I'm going to ask you this one in a second. Uh, but but I, you're absolutely right, George. That is an absolute dream, the Friday, the Saturday. How about this, though? Because I did think about this a few years back. If you arrived at the shoot on the Saturday, shot Saturday, I mean, we're talking like lack of responsibility to be able to do this, like very few children knocking around, that sort of thing. So this wiped most people out. Uh, but arrived at the shoot on the Saturday, uh, decent shoot, really good, boozy Saturday night party. <clears throat> Sunday off but all get together for a nice roast on Sunday, chilled early to bed, wake up for a day on the Monday and then head home after shooting on the Monday. That for me has got to be the ultimate shooting weekend. And Chris, the, the fact that you're talking about lack of responsibility and children and this and that and everything else means that I think you may have actually got things slightly wrong, given that you've just got married. Because when I met my wife, the first thing I said to her was, my darling, you are very good looking. Um, <laughs> however, I'm, I, I'm in the gun trade uh, and I work weekends. And, uh, and that's, that's how it stayed. That has been, our, our, that's been my, my mantra, as it were, throughout so our when marriage. So you when you go and see your mates, you just say you're going to work. Is that what you... <laughs> I don't know whether she's going to be listening to this podcast or not. So I'm going to, uh, I'm well, just going to move swiftly on from there. I can tell you that, 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 that excuse has not held any water whatsoever with my wife. Darling, I honestly, I really would much rather be here with you. Somehow seems, somehow seems, sees through it. I don't know. I think I've been building up to it all my life in the gun trade by making sure that I have sort of appropriate photographs and things taken at weekends with clients so that I could provide evidence at my engagement party to say this was how things are going to be from now on. What do you think then to the uh, to the, the double day with a gap in the middle on a Sunday? Can, can I think it's... It? No, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And one thing I was going to say is that both of you have have really just skipped to the uh, the very last question. I think you're going to come up with at the end of this podcast about what the ideal kind of island shooting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, exactly. hold, you know, hold, yeah. hold that. Well, hold it because <laughs> it's at the end, as you know. <laughs> but but George, you have obviously travelled the world to shoot. You've been on some some pretty amazing things, but. There must have been a few tales that you can possibly share with us. You did actually share one or two kind of teasers with us earlier. There's a couple of leapt out at me. Can you tell me? Well, we can't we can't go any further without you telling me about Chris's dad and the Petrus story. <laughs> well, this this is this is my favourite shooting story, and uh, it's it, it makes me look bad ultimately but because I like the story so much I love telling it so basically one of the shows that um, a lot of the British gun makers gun trade do in America uh, happens in Las Vegas every year and we were at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center and uh, we were with some clients and these clients needed some food um, and they were talking about buying new guns and uh, Chris's father, James Horn, took us to a restaurant called Fleur. And we sat down and James looked at us all and said, right, gents, you can have anything you want on the menu. 
So I went straight to the bottom right hand corner of the menu where I saw the Fleurburger 5000. Now, the Fleurburger 5000 is two patties of Wagyu beef, truffle, and foie gras, and it's served with a bottle of Petrus. Jesus. Now, uh, the cost was $5,000, hence the the Fleurburger 5000. Um, I got a rather stern look from my then chairman, Chris's father, um, as if to say, you will not buy that. But a little bit later on, after we'd all had a bit of wine, James said to me, right, if you guys sell tomorrow off the stand, if you actually sell a gun with extra finish engraving on it, so that is to say 30 grand's worth of engraving on it, and you take the money on the stand, he said to myself and my, my colleague uh, at Purdy at the time, Al, he said, I'll buy you a bottle of Petrus out of my own pocket. And I I thought that was very generous until I realized that we don't have a method of taking money on the stand <laughs> at, <laughs> at this convention. Um, so uh, we don't have a card machine. Um, no one's going to drop 200 grand in cash with us. Uh, it, it was just a no go. 10.30 in the morning, half an hour after the show opens, this chap walks up to us and he says, uh, huh, he says, been looking for you guys. I've heard you make nice guns. And um, long story short, he ordered eight guns with what? large scroll and game scene engraving on and his wife turned around and said darling i'll give them a holding deposit and pulled out one of those funny things called a check which i haven't seen for years so i was excited about the gun order james was excited about the gun order um, and then al suddenly clocked that actually this could mean a little bit more for us and started waving the check in front of james's face and james realized he was now several thousand pounds down because he was going to have to cough up for a bottle of petrus <laughs> so Many months went past and uh, we didn't see this bottle of wine. And um, Al and I started to get sort of slightly comically angry about it and say, right, come on, you've got to, um, you've got to, you've got to cough up here. And uh, James turned around and said, look, I'll tell you what we'll do. He said, I'll go and buy a bottle and then we'll all go shooting back to back days in Yorkshire. And he said, if you give me some of this wine that I owe you, then I'll buy back to back days shooting for us in Yorkshire. I think we went to Farndale and then Black Park. And we went up and our factory manager, Laurie, came with us. Um, and um, we stayed at the Feversham Arms Hotel in, uh, um, in Helmsley. Yeah. And um, we had this wonderful day's shooting. It was a perfect day's shooting. And I'd bought myself a, a, an infrared thermometer to make sure that the temperature of this Petrus was going to be absolutely perfect. Nice chilly evening. I said to James, I'm going for a massage after shooting. You put the wine out on the chilly balcony <laughs> just to bring the temperature down a little bit. And um, uh, yeah, so I went for my massage and then I came up to James's hotel. We're in very plush rooms there. I don't know if you've been there. Lovely hotel. And uh, we sat down and um, I said to Laurie, I said, record this. You can record it. You know, get your phone out, record this. It's going to be an ex- you know, exceptional experience. Three nice big sort of balloon glasses there and James starts pouring and he spills a little bit on the on the table. And I thought, that's about 30 quid's worth of wine he's dropped on the table there. <laughs> so I said, I don't care if this is on camera. I said, I'm going to lick that up. And I did. And then he poured the second glass and then he, he poured the third glass. And we sit there and we start sniffing it, swilling it around, just like we all know what we're doing. And um, Al was the first to go. And he had a sip and he goes, tastes a bit like Beaujolais. And I thought, Beaujolais, not only do I hate Beaujolais, it's my most, it's literally, it's the wine I hate the most. But I thought, how rude, because James has just spent thousands of pounds on this bottle of wine. And um, James sort of looked a bit, you know, a little bit cross. And I was a bit cross as well. And so I had a sip and I said, that is the best wine I have ever tasted in my life. I could drink that all night long. I mean, literally the best. 
So James looks, he says, I'll have a go. And he's sniffing it. Mm, lovely. Mm, love smell the complexity of blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he then looks at me, smiles, and chins the glass of wine. <laughs> it's about 600 quid in this glass of wine. He chins it. And I looked at him and I, and I said, what on earth are you? I went puce. I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he started laughing. Anyway, so he pours himself another glass. And I thought, this is not, I said, James, this is, this is our wine. You lost the bet. Anyway, same thing again. Al's like, this is, uh, smells like Beaujolais. It's disgusting. I'm like, yeah, it's the best wine I've ever had. James looks at me, smiles again, and chins the second glass. <laughs> He'd said, I always wanted to do that. But the problem is he didn't swallow it completely. And I started getting so angry and he started laughing. And he had a mouthful of wine. And it came out of every single orifice. I mean, it spewed out of his mouth, out of his nose. I'm surprised it didn't come out of his ears, all over the white carpet. And I, I, was, I was so mad. And Laurie was filming all this on the camera. And he got down on the floor, James. He started mopping up all this expensive wine off the carpet with a, with a, with a kitchen towel. And as he was down there, he pulled back the curtain to reveal a decanter full of wine. <laughs> and he had decanted the Petrus into... The, the, into the into the decanter and he had poured a bottle of six pound Beaujolais into the bottle of Patrice <laughs> and there was I not only on camera but actually on FaceTime to the entire Purdy factory saying <laughs> that that was the nicest wine I'd ever had and that was my experience of a bottle of Patrice. So it was Al in on the joke as well? <laughs> no no good on Al he wasn't in on it well at least he swears to me to this day he wasn't but I actually genuinely believe he wasn't in on it and he'd actually called it um, but uh, yeah. you know, I say your mind plays tricks with you when people are telling you you're, you know, drinking nice things. But um, yeah, it made me look a bit foolish in front of a lot of people. But I got to drink my bottle of wine in the end. Classic, George. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> I wish I'd been there. Um, but you know, there's a there's a sort of subtle undertone to to what happened to you there, which is when you're in the experience and the moment and the excitement and everything else, it doesn't really matter what happens, does it? You're going to enjoy it. And I think that the the, the situation that you're happy with the producer there, you, you, you can sort of, you can relate that back to shooting, can't you? Chuck you in any restaurant, drinking anything, doing anything with your mates, and you absolutely love it. And I think that is exactly I, what happened to you. I, I think I think some of the best weekends I've had have been where we've had the worst experiences as long as you're all yeah. together with your mates that's that's often what what counts you know well i mean i i got a very recent experience of that which is every other bugger on the fishing trip was catching fish after fish after fish and i only caught the one and i still had an absolutely wonderful time and it was because i was with my family with great friends and just having a lovely time and yeah we did have some fantastic food and some lovely drink and but it's it's Shooting, I think, like fishing, it's sort of it is a team sport in many yeah. ways, team activity. And I've discovered this week that I can really take as much pleasure or nearly as much pleasure in somebody else catching a fish as I can in catching one myself. And yes, you want to catch one yourself, but 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 seeing somebody else's joy and being there and or, or as I did a few times, you know, doing the gillying work is a really, really special thing. And it's just lovely. And I think that's the same with shooting. Um, George, you've just reminded me, of, you just reminded me um, uh, of something which was going back to that day where I had the marmalade vodka for the first time. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you remember this. I was right out on the on the end peg, where, on pe where peg number we eight. Uh, we were down at Moulton, I think. We're somewhere down, I think we were down there. 
Molland. Is it South Molton? Molland, that was it, Molland. Yeah. And we were down there, and I remember on that first drive, I was out right out on the end on number eight. Um, and it was the first time that I'd ever done this. I'm very competitive, as a lot of people will know. But it was the first time where halfway through that drive, I broke my gun open, and I turned, and I watched the rest of the line because I'd never seen – still to this day, that's the best line of guns I've ever shot with. And that the first watching drive? them. That was the first drive on that steep bank. I remember it so clearly. And I, I can, remember just yeah. turning around and watching everybody take down these birds. And it was just watching everyone have fun and being a part of that, even when I wasn't pulling the trigger. That I've done that a lot of times since then with other people, but that's it, 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 it's, it's a magical thing being part of a group of people like that and watching everyone have fun. It's one it's, of the reasons I think that the kind of grassroots shoot. So uh, as I've mentioned before, most of my shooting happens on our family shoot at home where you know a bag of 50 is a red letter day and that means that you know when you draw the end one of the end pegs the probability is you're not actually going to put your gun up but some people might think of that as being a, a negative but actually I kind of relish those moments because you do get to stand and observe what's going on elsewhere on the line and I think that's a really special thing to be able to do. Um, you alluded to disasters a minute ago there, and I think it's such an important point because uh, you can go to some of the worst situations and have some of the best fun ever. And I, I can't really tell too much about this story because it, it's probably a few people listening that are involved. And it, anyway, we rocked up to this castle. No names, no pack drill. <laughs> rocked up to this castle in Scotland, and that's as far as I'm going with that one. And it just... They just weren't really set up properly. They were trying to push the shoot a bit, and it it didn't really work. Uh, and um, the shoot didn't really work. Everyone had fallen out. The whole thing wasn't really going according to plan. But we had an awesome team there uh, and just went for it, just really had a right laugh. And, and I think probably by the end of it, a couple of them pushed it too far. But the shooting was was irrelevant to the weekend absolutely irrelevant the fact we'd all got to scotland together big journey met up at the services you know it's weirdly just having a sausage roll in the services with your mate just before a shoot like uh, before on the way up for uh, a shoot trip is just so exciting and that's exactly what we're sort of getting at here and, and uh, anyway the weekend turned out to be one of the highlights but uh, no nowhere near because of the shooting uh, now chris you talked about disasters and we were having a chat you know one of our very vague planning sessions. Uh, I don't want this episode to become the the James Horn slanging episode, but you did mention something about your dad's stag do, and <laughs> I'm intrigued. Uh, well, it was it was in the line of sort of disasters. It wasn't a proper disaster. Uh, it was um, it, so he he's he's remarried and uh, we had a simulated day with 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 West London. I forget Oxfordshire somewhere. Uh, it was really good fun. And then we went back to this pub uh, and there was like a sort of a village festival going on outside. It was just the most bizarre situation. And um, everyone had a far too much to drink. I'm sure this is going to have happened to so many people who are listening. Uh, so we all go to bed like really late. Uh, and, and one of the guys, um, older chap, um, wakes up in the middle of the night, uh, obviously doesn't really know where he is. Uh, it's had an absolute skinful the night before. Uh, and then goes to the first door that he thinks is the bathroom, opens it, goes in when he needs a wee, right? Door shuts behind him, slams shut. <laughs> He's standing in the corridor, stark naked <laughs> <of> this hotel. <laughs> 
and he can't get back into his room. It's one of those places where they lock the dividing door towards reception and everything else, so you can't really do anything. you just got to go and knock on other people's doors. He found a window that was open, climbed across a roof naked, <laughs> and then crawled back into his room. And I, I swear they must have caught it on CCTV, but it's one of those moments when it's like exactly what you go for. Chris, Chris, this is kind of um, a bit uncanny, actually, because it seems that your father actually has a propensity for going uh, to events where this happens. Um, because oh in, Las, in Las Vegas, <laughs> in the Bellagio of all places, the same thing happened to someone who was there as our guest on the Purdy stand. Now, he is a, an, an unnamed person in the gun trade, not the British gun trade, I hasten to add. And the same thing happened to him. He'd had a little too much he had had a long flight i think that's what it was he was very tired he'd had a long flight and what, tired he, and emotional like boris yeltsin used very to tired and emotional yeah he won lots of money on the on the uh, on the blackjack table and then no one knows where it went after that um but he did the same thing and it was uh, he went to bed at one o'clock in the morning on a saturday night in the bellagio and he went to the bathroom shut the door behind him turned on the light he wasn't in the bathroom he was in the corridor but you can't climb out of the 17th floor of the Blaggio Hotel. <laughs> so he went down the lift and he went across the casino floor to reception wearing the same kind of thing as you were just describing, Chris. In other words, his birthday suit. And he went up to the, the um, reception and said, my name is so-and-so and I appear to have lost my key. And they handed him a key. And he walked back across the Bellagio <laughs> Casino floor at one o'clock in the morning. I was going to say, night. I reckon they're and, probably uh, quite used to that sort of thing I, at the well, Bellagio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but of all of all places, uh, of all places, and and he lost the quite significant amounts of uh, chips that he'd won the night before. No one knows where that where they went oh, to. Dear. <laughs> so, George, you, you've travelled you travelled across the pond a lot. Um, you've been shooting in America quite a bit. How how do uh, how do our counterparts over, across the pond? take to these sorts of antics uh the, the the amount of sort of uh fun around the shooting aspect well i've been being very serious about it for a second um the one thing that absolutely amazed me the first time i went out there and can it probably doesn't continue to amaze me because i understand them now is actually their attitude towards shooting in general um if you go to any shoot game shoot um or or clay shoot or whatever it is pretty much everywhere I've been in America, you are not allowed even a beer at lunchtime if you're going to pull the trigger in the afternoon. And there are strict, strict club rules at, um, at the sporting clubs, at clay shooting clubs, shooting schools and so on. Very strict rules. Uh, I think the, the British have a very much an idea that the Americans are, you know, gung-ho. But they're not. They're very, very, very serious about it all. I, would, um, I, would, I should just quickly add that at no point during this podcast we suggested drinking during the day at all. Actually, we very well. That would be that. very. That would be very bad form, of course. Um, <laughs> but um, but but actually, I've never. I, I I was very surprised about how serious they took it, and and delighted at the same time. Um, and they actually take all aspects of their shooting probably more serious than the British do uh, in terms of their, um, you know, their species identification and, and everything. So it's been it's a real experience going over there. But the one thing I've learned more than anything else is the difference between shooting and hunting. And the reason they call it hunting is because the majority of the time they are hunting. It's not stand there with the birds coming over you you know driven over you it is take your dog and your limit six a day in many cases of whatever it might be and i love it i absolutely love it i've i've gone out on on hunts with them where you start at seven in the morning finish at five in the evening and you've not seen a thing all day you know and it's great fun mm. 
that's exactly it. <laughs> it's like, like salmon fishing, <laughs> which is why everyone goes to Russia now, not Scotland. Is that is 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 that the concern though? When you say everyone, well, no, I mean not not everyone, but you know what I mean. <laughs> the demands there. Um, that's really good to hear, though, George, isn't it? Because if, if anything was to happen, if anything awful was to happen to shooting here in the UK, you look at our friends over there, absolutely loving exactly what you've just experienced. It's perfectly possible. It's just we're used to the way we currently do it. Uh- Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, whilst I say what I've said, that doesn't mean they don't party in the evening. Um, yeah. And of course they do. Um, but I tend to find things are that they, they are more serious out there when it comes to the alcohol side of things. But they know how to have fun. They know how to have a lot of fun. Um, but you'll find that if they're up at seven in the morning, they're in bed at nine at night. Um, the fun is 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 condensed and but serious. I, I think the, the distinction you make between hunting and shooting is a really interesting one. Now, you could go and stand in a field and have somebody push birds over your head by yourself, and that would be a thing. But I guarantee you wouldn't have as much fun as if you had seven of your mates with you doing the same thing. And that is, as it were, shooting. So the shooting as a thing needs other people with you. Hunting can be a solitary activity. You, Absolutely. your dog, yeah. and yeah. out doing the kind of wild man thing. And I think that they are... They, they do very much focus on that in America. And, and it, it is two very different sports, for want of a better way of putting it. So, yeah, uh, do, do, how, <laughs> I don't know why my mind started going down this route. I've had a gin and tonic. Uh, what if we... What, I think that's a fascinating thing you've just said, because you, you're absolutely right. Drop an email to a few mates, offering them, uh, a 200 bird day, uh, say that um, you've, you've been offered a 200 bird day for two guns. It's just that you can't make that date, but they won't let anyone fill the place. Would you still like to go and offer it to your friends and see, see how many of them write back saying, yeah, I'll definitely take it. <laughs> uh, what you mean shooting, shooting with it with nobody? Yeah, literally just, just send an invite, offer an invite to some of your mates, see how many of them come back and say yes to a single, single gun. I'll bet none. I quite like to give that a go. I have to say. <laughs> well, that's what I was meaning. <laughs> Right, do it. Do it uh, between now and Saturday, and I'll see you on Saturday night. We'll compare notes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think that's a really good place to to kind of try and round things off a bit. But George, as you alluded to earlier, the way we'd like to finish all these episodes off is to ask our guests to describe their desert island shooting, the what the sort of fictitious one last day shootings being banned, or for whatever reason you're not going to be allowed to shoot anymore. So you've got one last hurrah. Money's no object. Logistics aren't an issue. What are you going to do? Where are you going? Who are you going with? What's the plan? I had this answer all lined out for you, and I'm now going to change it. Um, and I'm going <laughs> to plagiarize here okay. because Chris, because I've, I've, I'm tweaking it because Chris, what you said earlier, you, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. You, you go down on the, on the Friday night, you have a, a gentle session. Uh, Saturday you're shooting Sunday Saturday night you have the big party Sunday you're resting with a serious Sunday lunch and then it's um, you know poker Sunday evening and then uh, off home on Monday morning where no 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 shoot Monday as well 
Oh, well, in that case, if I see it, I'll do that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually wouldn't, I, it wouldn't actually bother me that the, no, the, duration, of, the duration of the trip is, is not important. The fact that you're getting, the fact that you're having time before and time afterwards yeah. and time to talk about it at the Sunday lunch properly yeah. time afterwards. Yeah. I, I think that's the main thing for me. Location is totally irrelevant. Absolutely, totally irrelevant. And the shooting for me would actually largely be irrelevant as well, as long as we're all in it and as long as we're all having some fun. You know, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and say I want one of these ridiculously large days, but I don't want a walked up day. I would want something that is driven shooting as we know it, where we're all in the action. Lots of drives. Um, funnily enough, one of the things I don't like so much is these bigger days where you do three or four big drives. I want to do seven small drives. I want to get started early, finish late. Um, so we're all swapping around. We can all see each other shooting. We've got plenty of time to try and shoot each other's birds and have a bit of fun, mix up the pegs between drives. It's all about the fun for me. Don't care where it is. Bit of scenery. Go on, give us an area. Give us a region. Because actually di- that also dictates where you're going to go on your Sunday lunch because you could probably choose a restaurant, couldn't you? Pub. You, well, you could do, but you said money, no no object. So I'd have a couple of helicopters standing by, I think, to take us to lunch somewhere. <laughs> um, but um, uh, but I, I, honestly, Chris, I, I couldn't tell you. I've had so much fun in the West Country, um, in the South, in Wales, in Yorkshire. Um, Scotland obviously has its own its own special special thing about it. I think if I had to choose anywhere, I'd probably choose somewhere in Yorkshire. Um, okay. I think it's just the Dales for me. Uh, I just think are so beautiful. Um, but I, I really mean it when I say I, I don't think location matters for me. Yeah. Just no, as long good. as we're all as long as we're all there. It's all about the fun and that's why you're here. Absolutely. Uh, I think you've um, you've summarized it very nicely and uh, I would uh, love to be in your list of nine somehow to make that trip because uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't really care what I'm doing. Actually, to be honest, I bring the dog and stand at the back. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> I think I think you actually made it into my uh, my dream team, didn't you, Chris? And that included dead people. So if you're, if you're... <laughs> <laughs> is that a compliment? I shoots, think it is. shoots better than shoots better than dead people. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good of you, George. Well, uh, lovely to have you with us. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. Um, yeah, it's, it's been great, George. Thank you ever so much. Um, now, if all this talk of boozing and general silliness um, has uh, has whetted your appetite, so to speak, um, as we said before, there are 20 pairs of tickets available for the uh, Guns and Pegs podcast party at the Game Fair. Come and see us on the stand, uh, buy the membership in the closure, or drop us an email between now and Saturday night, and uh, you might just find yourself on the guest list. Uh, if you don't find yourself on the guest list, but you do still want to drop along, uh, there's still a pretty good chance, assuming the weather holds. So, uh, yeah, come and see us. It's going to be a really exciting time. To anybody who is listening who is already on the guest list, we're really looking forward to seeing you there. Um, so before we go, there's a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive Guns on Pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas for us to resolve uh, or by getting in touch to let us know where you've been listening or suggesting fines for syndicates. Remember that from a few previous episodes. Um, just send us an email to pod at gunsonpegs.com uh, and if we use it, uh, we'll send you some garters. Finally, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode or any before, do leave a rating or a review 
uh, on your podcast app of choice. It really does help us. Uh, it helps us to reach more people. And it makes us feel good, doesn't it? It, it does make us feel good. It makes us feel, good. Good. It's it's makes warm us feel very nice. Inside, like a warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> we'll leave it there. So anyway, we will be back. <laughs> we will be back after the game fair. Uh, with a special Game Fair episode with some cool stuff that we've recorded at the Game Fair, maybe some other little bits and pieces. But until then, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. I am so fucking hot. (laughs) Look at the shine. It's It's genuine, like, wet, genuine, genuinely sweaty. I'm just going just going to turn my air conditioning up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> little shit <laughs>